It's Wednesday, February 5th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. President Trump's impeachment process ended today with an acquittal. So what now? If the State of the Union was any guide, more bad blood in Washington than ever. Then, if you spotted members of Congress last night wearing pins featuring the letters E-R-A, there was a reason for it. It has to do with the push to finally ratify the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. We've got the full story. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by H&R Block. They have upfront transparent pricing, so you know the price before you begin. This is the sound of history being made. The Senate having tried Donald John Trump, President of the United States, upon two articles of impeachment exhibited against him by the House of Representatives and two-thirds of the senators present not having found him guilty of the charges contained therein, it is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby, acquitted of the charges in said articles. Today, the U.S. Senate voted to acquit President Trump on two charges of impeachment, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The impeachment process leading up to today's vote took months. But in the span of minutes of voting, the whole thing was over. And Trump officially became the third president in U.S. history to be impeached, but then acquitted of those charges in the Senate. Mr. Alexander. Not guilty. Mr. Alexander, not guilty. Ms. Baldwin. Ms. Baldwin, guilty. Mr. Barrasso. After a heated impeachment inquiry in the House and a trial in the Senate, today's vote went out in a whimper because it kind of had to. As a reminder to everyone in the chamber, as well as those in the galleries, demonstrations of approval or disapproval are prohibited. Yeah, impeachment is serious business. The actual result of today's Senate vote wasn't much of a surprise. Democrats had hoped that several Republicans might join them in indicting the president. But once it came time for the vote, Democrats were only able to convince one Republican to vote against the president. Utah Senator Mitt Romney voted to acquit Trump of obstructing Congress, but convict him on abuse of power. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. Democrats, meanwhile, also held ranks, with every Democratic senator voting to indict Trump on both charges. So what now? Technically, if Trump's critics want to try and impeach him again, they could. But they probably won't. And most attention has shifted to figuring out how Trump will govern now that he can point to today's vote and say, you tried to get me, but I'm still standing. Some Republicans, like Maine Senator Susan Collins, have argued that even though they didn't vote to convict Trump, he was still impeached and will probably have learned his lesson, that the pressure he put on Ukraine to investigate the Bidens was out of line. Here was Collins on CBS News. He was impeached, and there has been criticism by both Republican and Democratic senators of his call. I believe that he will be much more cautious in the future. Others aren't so certain. And on the Senate floor today, California Senator Kamala Harris predicted Trump is going to learn all the wrong lessons from the Senate impeachment trial. He knows the institutions in this country, be it courts or the Senate, are set up 
to protect powerful people like him. And she went on. Trump has shown us through his words and actions that he thinks he is above the law. And now, lawmakers like Romney say that Trump's future in office will be decided somewhere else. The results of this Senate court will in fact be appealed to a higher court, the judgment of the American people. With 272 days left until Election Day, we got a sense of what political tensions in D.C. and around the country could look like in a heated election year at last night's fiery State of the Union speech. Democrats hissed during portions of Trump's speech. Meanwhile, some Republicans whistled and cheered. And after Trump refused to even shake hands with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she responded by physically ripping up Trump's speech on stage. So as for finally putting impeachment behind us and getting back to business in Washington, eh, maybe not. The Senate sitting as a court of impeachment stands adjourned sine die. Nevertheless, female lawmakers are persisting in their attempts to find common ground when it comes to a potential constitutional amendment. That's next. It's tax season, and that means figuring out how to file. If you need help, look to H&R Block. Their no-surprise guarantee means that they're always transparent about pricing, so you don't have to worry about spending more than you meant to. Because who wants to know the price up front? Oh, right, everyone. Plus, they cover you with free audit support and a free mid-year care check. It's better with Block. As President Trump gave a 78-minute-long State of the Union speech last night, something in the audience caught our eye. A sea of female Democratic lawmakers wearing white. It's not the first time they've coordinated outfits at the speech. Back in 2018, a group of those lawmakers wore black to honor the Me Too movement. And last year, they wore white to mark the 100th anniversary of the passing of the 19th Amendment. That's when women got the right to vote, and activists, called suffragettes, were known for wearing the color white. Since this year is the anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, the whiteout made a comeback. But if you have an eagle eye, you might have noticed a spot of color on the lapels of a lot of those white outfits. Those were buttons that said E-R-A-Y-E-S, as in vote yes for the Equal Rights Amendment. But what does that mean? You might remember learning about the 14th Amendment in high school U.S. history. It says that states can't deny any person, quote, equal protection of the laws. That sounds like everybody should be equally protected by the laws, right? Well, not really. The amendment was passed in 1868 to guarantee equal protection for former slaves, not women. And even though the amendment vaguely refers to any person, courts have a history of saying that doesn't necessarily mean women. The late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia defended that interpretation of the Constitution in 2012. Certainly, the Constitution does not require sexual discrimination on the basis of sex. The only issue is whether it prohibits it. It it doesn't. Nobody ever thought that that's what it meant. Nobody ever voted for that. Like Scalia said, nobody ever voted to guarantee women equal protection of the laws. But that doesn't mean they haven't tried. Activists in the 1900s decided that since the 14th Amendment wasn't looking out for them, they had to get things done with a new amendment. So in 1923, just a few years after women got the right to vote, suffragettes pivoted and got the Equal Rights Amendment introduced in Congress. The wording of the ERA has changed over the years, but basically it says women should have equal rights and that discrimination on the basis of sex isn't okay. Pretty straightforward. 
But it's been anything but straightforward to get it into the Constitution. In 1972, almost 50 years after it was first introduced in Congress, the ERA passed in the House and Senate by a two-thirds majority. Then, three-quarters of states had to sign off on it. Those are the requirements to get any amendment into the Constitution. But there was a catch for this one. The whole process had to be done by 1982. So over those 10 years, 35 states gave the amendment a thumbs up. But the amendment needed to be okayed by 38 states. So the ERA was three states short. Access to the Constitution? Denied. Meaning today, in 2020, women still aren't protected in the Constitution when it comes to issues like gender-based violence, sexual harassment, and unequal pay. So that brings us to two weeks ago. Eyes 59, nays 41, abstention zero. For the women of Virginia and the women of America, the resolution has finally passed. 38 years after the deadline, Virginia finally became the 38th state to ratify the ERA. But it's going to take a court battle to actually get the ERA in the Constitution. That's because the guy who literally files the paperwork about laws, the National Archivist, says, you're too late. And it's even more complicated since a handful of the OG 35 states have changed their minds since they originally gave the ERA the OK. Last week, the state attorneys general of the three states that ratified the ERA after the deadline, Virginia, Illinois, and Nevada, filed a lawsuit demanding the archivist ratify the ERA. If that doesn't happen, Congress has another plan of attack. Next week, the House of Representatives is going to vote on whether to rescind that 1982 deadline, almost like it never existed. That House vote might make the legal drama unnecessary. So. ERA, YES at the State of the Union last night, was like a YES to the House's vote next week. The Virginia House of Delegates lawmaker who introduced the state's ERA resolution, Jennifer Carroll Foy, was a guest at the State of the Union last night. And we're going to bring it home and ensure that women's constitutional equality is finally done. YES to that. Over the last few weeks, we've heard from Skim HQers about their unique tax situations. H&R Block has given us some great advice on what to do if you're newly married or bought a house or had a baby. But today we'll hear from one Skim HQer who filed her taxes for the first time last year and has advice to share for this year's tax freshman. Yep, I faced my first big scary tax return last year. And now I'm basically a pro. I had heard terms like gross and net before I graduated from college but never knew what they had to do with my taxes. If that's you, here's one thing to know before filing your taxes this year. Adjusted gross income. That's your total income for the year, minus certain things you've had to pay for. What that means is you can deduct things like your student loan interest from your total income, and then only pay taxes on that number. Yes, please. Taxes are complicated, but you've got this. If you want more tax tips, head to theskim.com slash letsgetpersonal. If you need a boost to get through the rest of your work week, have we got a treat for you. On this week's episode of our other podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, Carly and Danielle sat with Coach Monica Aldama from the Netflix documentary series, Cheer. Coach Monica heads the cheerleading program at Navarro College in Corsicana, Texas. 
If you haven't watched the show yet, Coach Monica is one of the most successful coaches in the country, with a whopping 14 national championships under her belt. And this week, we talked to her about how she makes some of her toughest decisions on the job, and also how she manages her team's expectations. I, I try to separate the coaching part and the nurturing part to separate the feelings of, I'm gonna break this kid's heart because I'm not gonna put him on map. And I love this kid more than anything, and I know what they've overcome. You think about that, but you know that they don't have the skills that this other person does. And that's where it really, you know, pulls at your heartstrings. And that's where I have to like, okay, Monica, you can do this, it's fine. Just separate it, just separate it, just separate it. The latest episode of Skimmed from the Couch is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the Skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.